Hello, and welcome to Podium. Do you, listener, feel like there's something odd happening in society right now? Donald Trump becoming president? Brexit? These and many other events sort of break with reality as we know it. We talk about this today, me and Mr. Daniel Goertz. We talk about it within the context of metamodernism. We have mentioned this previously on the podcast, but th- today's episode is dedicated completely to the topic. This episode was broadcasted via Skype, our first Skype broadcast this conversation, and I think it went really well. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation a lot, and there's a lot of information uh, under this video when it comes to Daniel Goetz and his meta-modernistic views, and I hope you take your time to read through his material and that you enjoy this podcast. Like it and share, please. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for watching Podium. Yes, welcome to Podium. Today we're here with Daniel Gertz. Thank you for coming to the podcast, Daniel. Thank you for having me. The reason why we're here today is that we're going to talk about metamodernism. Uh, that's your, my field of interest and yours field of expertise. I think we can do some... Um, some very interesting conversation. We can have a very fruitful and interesting conversation about this topic because we've had a lot about this topic in our in our podcasts, but it's it's mostly um, periodical. So I think I thought to have a podcast exclusively about metamodernism would be very beneficial for context for our the rest of our podcast. Basically, <laughs> what do you think about that? I think it sounds like a great plan. Perfect. And um, happy to hear that uh, podcasters in Oslo are taking up an interest in <laughs> these, um, well, strange and fringe topics, but which I believe to be central to our day and age. I mean, that, that's a place where we see absolutely eye to eye. Um, I think for, to, for, in order for our audience to be able to understand what we're actually talking about, we have to talk about the what do you call it, the, the, pre, pre, uh, the, the, the periods that started before metamodernism. In that context, we can talk about modernism, we can talk about postmodernism, and we can talk about metamodernism. We could also talk about the Enlightenment period, also, if you want to go that further back. But I'll, I'll pretty much leave that up to you. Yes, yeah, so actually, there are dif- uh, different ways to understand these, dif- the, these periodizations or these uh, stage theories, these different... Uh, these different steps of development of society and uh, of people in society and of our values and of, of our personalities, of our economic system, of our culture. Um, but I mean, at a very, very basic level, um, let's let's first start with, is it okay to talk about development in societies? Can you say that one society is more developed than another? And if you if you take a look around the world um, and you look at different cultures and different times, uh, if you go back to let's say the Roman period and you study Roman society and you compare it to let's say Denmark today, there there are many there are many traits in Danish society today that are quite distinctly different from the Roman period. For instance, there is no slavery. For instance, the general, uh, the the average person is uh, molded by society in a much more complex way. You can say that, you know, society 
takes every kid and brainwashes them through uh, through uh, primary school and secondary school. That's 12 years. Almost everybody goes to secondary school. And then uh, everybody is bombarded by so much more information. So it's not so difficult to say that this is a more complex form of society. And the values that people have here seem to correspond, in Denmark that means, seems to correspond with, uh, with that level of complexity. So you can say that in Denmark people are for human rights, they are against slavery, they uh, care about ideas such as freedom of expression, uh, they understand the importance of free press, and all of these things were not, uh, and, and they have democratic values in, in many uh, ways. And um, uh, the market is uh, much more highly ordered and uh, much uh, much more complex and refined in, in its specialization. So uh, it appears that you can see a developmental axis of complexity. And um, this is controversial, of course, because it makes it sound as though some cultures or time periods would be better or higher standing than others. And um, I'm not claiming that we should put on, you know, the goggles of God and make ourselves judges of or, or umpires of which society is best or uh, or give or use these arguments to uh, to say that well western society is better than chinese society or middle eastern society or something like that rather than we should have an objective measure for when societies are more complex and less complex and when co their corresponding cultures are more complex or less complex and then after you've put in that that kind of measurement and there are different different ways to do this but there are ways to do this quite objectively um, or quite empirically at least um, then you can make value judgments and say wait a minute does this value correspond to this kind of society or or maybe the value doesn't make sense anymore maybe we need a new value or a new culture corresponding to this society that we currently live in uh, looking then at um, looking then at an issue such as homosexuality and homophobia, we can see that uh, for for a long period of time in in uh, Western countries, uh, homosexuality was frowned upon and uh, pathologized. Uh, I mean, people thought of it as a sickness or and even farther back as a sin, and then recently quite recently our whole society has shifted within a number within maybe just a period of 10 to 20 years there was a moment monumental shift of perspective and homosexuality was accepted as a normal and healthy and expression of, of uh, sexuality and love and Instead, homophobia became uh, the stigmatized side. Uh, and the shame that had been uh, projected onto homosexual is, is instead pro projected onto uh, uh, the homophobic uh, among us uh, who are viewed as, viewed as bigoted or narrow-minded and so forth. 
And can you say then, is it better? Is this new uh, value that has taken hold better? Well, it corresponds better to the ideals of the society that were already in place. Uh, ideals of free love, ideals of uh, expression of the individual that if you don't, uh, if you don't have, uh, if you don't harm anybody else, uh, there's no reason why anybody should interfere with your business and so forth. Um, so one society had already said we should mar marry whom we want. Uh, marriage is not just an economic uh, transaction. Uh, romantic love is important. Your own inner feelings are important. Then there was a dissonance between this and the prevailing homophobia in society. And then the homophobia didn't make sense. So in this sense, you can say, yes, our society advanced to a more complex form of thinking, uh, which corresponded to the actual forms of life in our society. So that's the kind of evolutionary perspective I bring to the table, which is controversial among uh, social scientists, uh, because people think, of course, of, uh, of fascist movements, of, uh, of supremacy for, uh, movements, and all of these different things. Uh, and I want to be very clear that that's not the direction we're going in. We're going in a direction where we look at stages of development and we ask which ones are more universal, which ones transcend and include the former stages. So transcends and, and included the, the former stages of values, basically. Of values, yes. Yeah, exactly. so, so, uh, so that if, uh, if the values of one system already include and account for the values of the former system, then you can say that the, those values are more advanced. Exactly. Which doesn't necessarily make them better, you know, when you get, it's like growing up, you know, like when you're a 10-year-old, you don't have certain abilities, but there are also a bunch of issues that you don't have, like uh, problems and issues that you don't have. And then you grow up to a 20-year-old and you're a uh, so much more powerful in many ways and have so much greater capacities and you're such so much more complex thinker hopefully but then you have a host of new problems and a host of new uh, behavioral issues uh, that come with those new capacities so uh, so that's the kind of thing we're looking at every development of this kind is always a double-edged sword i want to be very very clear on that so with this Doc in place, with this uh, caveat in place, I would like to then uh, go back to what you asked. Uh, modern values, postmodern values, and metamodern values, or modern society, postmodern society, and metamodern society. And uh, I, I know from experience that uh, when you talk about metamodern, people often don't hear what you say. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> they thought along. <laughs> so, so let's see. I, I can I can show here. We're talking about this word right here, meta modern. So meta, as in something that goes beyond and as above uh, the modern uh, society. So uh, modernity or modern society, I think uh, you're not wrong to bring up the Enlightenment. Uh, we, it's the society we live in today, mostly. Uh, we, uh, we live in a modern society based on uh, 
on ideas such as science, materialism, democracy, the individual, human rights, and so forth. And it grew from earlier societies, which can be called traditional, I suppose, or um, there are many different ways to uh, to uh, call them. You can you can call them. Um, to name them. You can call uh, the pre-modern societies also post-Faustian, and it's a term we use in our book. Um, and the the traditional societies, uh, they weren't really, you know, pre-rational in any deeper sense. Like it, the normal, the conventional way to think about it was people used to believe in gods and ghosts and all sorts of things, and then we became enlightened and uh, we all started to be rational and believe in science. That's not really what happened. If you look at medieval society, uh, traditional medieval society and, uh, and uh, the, the late medieval period, what all uh, you had a, a huge connection of, uh, of uh, scholars around Europe who all wrote in Latin and were all connected, were all writing letters to one another through the uh, monastic, uh, uh, universities at the point uh, at at this time, or the monastic uh, the monastic uh, institutions, primarily, and they were all trying to find the one universal truth, the word of God, and they were all trying to interpret the Bible to find what is the one truth that explains everything else. So they were looking for. They were intersubjectively checking one another, one another's interpretations to find the ultimate source of truth. And this led all of us ultimately to, wait a minute, we have a realization. If there is going to be a truth that is universal, it cannot be found in any one source or book. It has to be uh, everybody has to check it for themselves. So first you have this in the Reformation that Luther, uh, Martin Luther, wrote, uh, wrote down the book, uh, the, the translated the Bible into German, and people started reading it themselves. And everybody was thought of as an individual who can find their own relationship to God, to the highest truth. But eventually people came up uh, through the scientific revolution of the 1600s, people came up with the idea that we have to be able to not have a private revelation, not the revelation of a prophet who we then interpret, but all of us are prophets. All of us can check uh, the facts of the world ourselves. And we can intersubjectively, meaning between you and me, we can check your truths against my truths. So we check uh, I mean, you see a goblin behind me, and I don't see it. Then most probably, uh, and then then we then we're in an argument: is there a goblin in the room or not? So we have to bring out in a third person. I say, Emil, hello, can you come in here? Emil comes in, and he looks, and he says, "There's no goblin." And then because uh, because it was intersubjectively checked then we can uh, then we can say aha then there must be something wrong with the transmission the screen it was just an example i don't need you <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so uh, uh, so that's the core principle of modern society i mean at, at the if you cut it down to the core uh, you, you you eventually get to philosophy and you cut down to the, the very very center or uh, of, of modern philosophy you get to the philosophy of science 
So which philosophy of science do you adhere to? Aha, you adhere to a philosophy of science where you, where each of us check the facts of one another. So that's modern society, and that's largely the society we still live in. It's still the one that dominates us. Even, you know, the capitalist market follows this logic. How? Well, each of us verify with our money what should be produced. And then there are rules of the game uh, that are set and universalized uh, so that we can do this. And the, mon the value of the money is guaranteed by state and blah, 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 and all of this stuff. Uh, but all of this is follows the same principle. The democratic system is the system of the enlightenment of the modern period. Why? Because all of us verify decision-making by means of the vote. So if one person says we should use half the national budget on UFO research, he will get few votes because it won't be verified by other people in their voting. So let's stay then there at the philosophy of science because it really gets at the core of what these different, uh, these different stages of development are uh, in society. So the postmodern critique post means after. The postmodern critique of uh, modernity is that, wait a minute, what if there is a structure or some kind of filter or some kind of, uh, some kind of interest, shared interest, that would make us all verify something that isn't true? What if we are all affected by something like maybe presumptions that are in our language or maybe uh, maybe uh, uh, that we're from the same ethnic group or whatever so it turns so we do bring in emil and he says there's a goblin i say there's a goblin you say there's a goblin and turns out we're all uh, we're all crazy about um we're all crazy about Dungeons and Dragons or something. And that's the reason we keep seeing goblins exactly. everywhere. And uh, and turns out we're also the dominant group in society. So then before long, everybody will believe, will be believing in goblins <laughs> just because the dominant group all patted their back, you know, the backs of one another and supported each other in their perspectives. And then you, but then you have other groups that would say uh, uh, that are minor groups, minorities that would say that that's not, that's not the school of thought that we want to subscribe to, basically. Exactly. But exactly. what if we also control, what if our group also controls their education system? And what if we are much richer than them? Exactly. So they have to work for us and they never really get get a say and they don't get to go to school at all, maybe. And, uh, and they have to produce the shoes that we wear uh, while we have philosophical discussions. So it appears that every truth claim is also a power claim. That's the meta that's the postmodern uh, critique of modernity. Uh, you're always stuck in all of these uh, uh, structures and all of these cultures and all of these uh, power relations that constitute society. So what the postmodern um, what the postmodern um, um, thinkers and and uh, the postmodern culture that has emerged in Western societies, particularly, over, you, I guess you could say, in some way or form, over two hundred years, even since the Enlightenment, there were voices against the Enlightenment who said, "Wait a minute, there's something wrong with this." Uh, but it only emerged in full in our culture, maybe in the 
first in philosophy in the 60s. You had think, a bunch of French thinkers like Foucault and Derrida and Baudrillard and uh, people like that. And then uh, this became dominant in academia in the 80s and the 90s. And in the 90s, particularly in, uh, in popular culture. Uh, so popular culture became very ironic, very distancing, very deconstructive. You want to pick things apart. Exactly. But would you then say just a little caveat here? And would you just say would you then say that to steadfast what a postmodern thinker is uh, today, for example, would you then say that a postmodern thinker thinker would be more prone to believe something that is accepted by the collective than rather uh, investigate something by himself or or to believe something that very few thinks? Um, so uh, it, the the general uh, the general mood or sense of postmodernism is look at the cracks look at the exceptions exactly. uh, look at uh, look at the voices we uh, we normally think of as insane what are they telling us look at uh, look at the contradictions uh, look at the always stay with the questions always stay with the uh, with picking things apart, you know, uh, Foucault, the great, like the most emblematic of the postmodern thinkers, uh, um, was once asked, "Wait a minute, you're just against everything. You're just picking everything apart, and you're never for anything. What, what, what do you want?" And he said, "You know what? There are so many economists and uh, and engineers in the world, and they're busy building it." And that's their job. My job is just to pick it apart. Exactly. So the the question becomes more important than the answer itself. Yes, the question exactly. becomes more important than the answer itself. And this uh, sentiment is to this day extremely dominant in the social sciences, not, not perhaps economics, the social sciences and uh, the humanities, particularly in the humanities. So you will go to a seminar in, for instance, history, and you explain your ideas and you explain your uh, your theory and you say, I think it works like this. And then you answer the criticisms. And what happens in the room is interesting. Everybody is like, mm -hmm. exactly. And then uh, after a while, if, if, they, if you answer their criticism, somebody bursts out into but what's the criticism? Because they feel the criticism is the result. Mm. And, and the sciences, even the social sciences, even pride themselves with being, we're the critical voice. We give you critique. Exactly. So this, this is more or less where I want to continue in this landscape, because I 100% agree with the fact that postmodernism is mainly about the question. And, the, and it's basic, basically about deconstructivism. I mean, this is a known fact. And the, uh, deconstructivism and being able to continue to ask questions and not really arrive at some point. But, but then you have the, this aspect where we're going to move more into now and that, because I feel like we have enough context already. And uh, metamodernism. Because metamodernism, to me, seems like it's saying that yes, there are ways to different ways of seeing at a thing but we have to arrive at some point exactly we have, we, exactly so so what happens if you accept the postmodern critique uh, i mean so are we just going to pick things apart until the end of days <laughs> and that's uh, that's i mean what we social scientists are brought up to do i have a phd in sociology and uh, i can i can attest to that even if uh, i mean 
it's not like uh, a sociology department today. It's often characterized that everybody's uh, just talking about feminism and intersectionality and uh, and uh, race theories all the time and uh, criticizing everything that everybody loves French thinkers and everybody calls themselves a postmodernist. Almost nobody calls themselves a postmodernist. And post-modernism Not anymore, at least. <laughs> and almost, uh, yeah, anymore. And almost uh, nobody uh, actively subscribes to, to this uh, general worldview. But it's kind of stuck in the, it's kind of still in the general sense or mood that in how people think. Well, everybody loves science, everybody loves interpretations, everybody loves multiple perspectives, everybody loves exceptions, questions, uh, and all of these things, cracks in the wall, so to speak. And everybody loves critique, 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 critique. Um, the the uh, Marx and Engels once even wrote uh, a paper, was called The Critique, the the critical critique of the critique or something, <laughs> and and this sentiment is still there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you critique, then I critique your critique, then you critique my critique. Blah, 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 and we pick pick things apart like that. But then, would wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you then say that when metamodernism says stop with the critiquing, we have to find something that we can steadfast here. We have to find something. Yes, I mean not stop with the critique. No, no, not stop with the critique, but, uh, but, but we have to arrive at some place. We basically. have to arrive at some place. So, so, okay, there, there are so many perspectives and you can't, uh, I mean, uh, postmodernism also tries to throw out the whole idea that Western society is more advanced, and mm. you know that, and there is progress, and you have have this direction, and we're all moving in a certain direction in history. And uh, but without that direction, you can't even argue for why uh, your critique is any good, and you can't even argue that your critique is better than the non-critique. So is feminism, animal rights, and and uh, uh, critical race studies is are those better than not having those things? You can't re- even make that argument, right? Exactly. So uh, implicitly, of course, uh, the postmodern uh, paradigm does have a developmental view. It views itself as more developed than the modern mainstream. And to this day, of course, the uh, postmodern critique uh, can, uh, because, be, I mean, uh, because everybody still lives in a modern society, that large late modern society with the still a capitalist market, still a democracy, still science uh, at the pinnacle of everything, then it always remains in a minority. Uh, it can't truly create a new society. Uh, and then Sooner or later, people feel it's irrelevant, or uh, they feel it's snobby, or that it's ivory tower, um, or uh, that it's too academic, or that it's too abstruse or uh, abstract and stuff like that. So um, what happens is people get tired of it, especially folks from our generation. Uh, We feel, well, wait a minute, I, I want some meaning and direction in my life. I want some hope. But that's not a good enough argument. You can put that apart too. So uh, you can't make something true just because you want it to be true. So you have to attack the postmodern sentiment of our day and age and the postmodern movements um, by beginning to non-arbitrarily build on their own arguments and non-arbitrarily order the perspectives. Uh, So that if one, if, if, 
so we can start from there. If postmodern critique is better than no postmodern critique and just belief in mainstream society and its institutions and without a skepticism, we have you have a developmental view there. You, you say that this grows from that one and it critiques that one on its own premises. Wait a minute. Everybody is not equal in our society. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, this isn't rational. Uh, and of course, that's another favorite of the postmodern uh, age, uh, building on Freud and all of that, that uh, in our society, the mainstream uh, account is that all of us are rational individuals. But in reality, if you research us, we all follow the premises of our culture and we are all we all follow the flock, the the, the, the group, tribe. Yeah. the tribe, and uh, and we all follow the structures of language, and we are driven by emotions, and that our thoughts are generally rationalizations of those emotions. So we're not rational beings, uh, in any in any deeper sense. Anyway, we we can be rational in any when we sit down and do physics or engineering, but then in our everyday life, and the reasons we do it are not rational. Uh, but they are emotionally exactly. uh, driven, mostly, socially exactly. defined. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so if you do if you do look at that, um, you see, aha! So you are yourself saying there is a developmental theory here. So, uh, and then there come. So the main the main thrust of the postmodern critique against the modern world is that the modern world is arrogant. The modern world takes itself too seriously. The modern world believes its own stories, and you should not do that. And you should be more humble. You should pick things apart, and you should be critical. Well, wait a minute. You, we can say to the postmodern ones, uh, to the postmodern uh, cri uh, critique, we can say, so are you saying that you are, that this is the end, the last step, the last paradigm there will ever be? Are you the highest stage then? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, then, then, uh, then obviously they have to answer no. There mm -hmm. has to be some kind of paradigm or thought structure that comes after postmodernism. There has to be a post-postmodern paradigm. Mm. There has to be a society that grows from the postmodern critique and is different, qualitatively different from the postmodern sentiment. Mm. And there are many different attempts at this. Over the last uh, 30 years, there have been many attempts. People have suggested the word hypermodernism, transmodernity. Uh, there has been, uh, well, there, there are things about enactivism. There are things about, well, um, well there, there are many different words for, for this. I, I can go, go through the list. Uh, but the best uh, integral is another another suggestion but I think I feel the best uh, description of what comes after postmodernism and that catches uh, the the drift most succinctly is meta modernism mm -hmm. so in a way it's a bit of a silly word because meta is just the same same Greek is just the Greek word for post post is Latin means after meta is Greek old Greek and just means after also. But in our language today, meta has a bit of a different connotation. Uh, we have a meta discussion. It's a discussion about exactly. the discussion. Or uh, you have, uh, so you, you, it often means something like beyond or above or through. So 
it's in that sense that we use the word meta-modernity or meta-modernism. So, aha, okay, given that you can pick things apart, you can view things from many different perspectives, you can include the voices of the excluded, the arbitrarily excluded voices, and their arbitrarily excluded perspectives. But then what do you do with all these perspectives? You just, you just put them on your table there and look at them and then arbitrarily move them around? No, no, that doesn't make sense. You have to somewhere, some, somehow order them. And, and by which, through which uh, logic should we order them? Well, we can't really say, well, this one is better or this one is more rational or it is kinder, but we can say this one builds upon that one. This perspective includes that perspective but not the other way around. Exactly. It so, fits within uh, that old perspective. Uh, and and well, another it fits on way, top of it. Yes, it's on top of it, I guess you could say, mm. uh, or around it, or mm. if you, you can imagine first like this and then like this. Exactly. Like exactly. This. It's what you said earlier about the, the value structure then being accepted for, uh, for something that's sort of greater, that accepts both parts. Yes, yes. Exactly. Uh, and this brings us to uh, a very important source uh, of metamodern perspective. So uh, there, there are different strands of metamodernism. I represent the Nordic school, which uh, is political and developmental. And then there, are, then you have, for instance, the Dutch school, which views metamodernism only as a phase and only descriptive within within the arts and architecture and so forth. So starting with the Dutch school, for instance, they uh, they look at things like, uh, um, well. Uh, new artworks and stuff, and they look and and they look for uh, new hope, new sincerity that is brought in within this ironic world of postmodernism, within the ironic world of arts. You know, like if you take the a very good example of postmodern art, you could say it's uh, and uh, uh, Andy Warhol, and Andy Warhol, he, you know, his paintings of. Uh, he, he just cans and uh, hermetic cans and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for instance, these these cans of tomato soup and mm -hmm. and these uh, shrill colors and these uh, uh, these um, uh, images of uh, what's her name, Marilyn Monroe, and um, and they really hit home because people could sense that aha. This is now fine arts. What was used, uh, culture is now be, what was fine culture is now what, what was uh, popular culture or uh, common things are now being redefined as fine art. And his work is always, you know, it uh, has a kind of flatness to it. It shows that everything is just surfaces. Hmm. So the uh, the depths that you imagine. Uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, well, my, I don't mean this in a critical sense. I just mean that's what he what he says, uh, that that's what uh, this kind of um, artwork describes exactly. it back to us or reflects back to us that, aha, we live in a world where everything we see is a surface that we project onto. Um, and everything is defined by the observer. And he was asked sometimes, what do you mean with your art? And he said, you know, he, he acted, he acted uh, innocent. And he said, well, well, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> what, what, what do you, what's your, what's your, uh, what do you see here?
so that's 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 sort of a prerequisite for subjective truths because you're saying that the definition is up to the observer which means that there can be all kinds of definitions again and then there can be all kinds of criticisms and again the question mark becomes bigger and bigger yes yes um and but i mean it, it all lands us in this surface land where everything is equal and everything is just a perspective etc so uh and and oh i'm sorry i i lost my thread before i said what is then a source that the metamodern mind can use to order the perspectives and it turns out there is an empirical body of work within developmental psychology beginning with people like piaget jean piaget uh, he studied that uh, cognitive development in children and he noticed for instance if you take a glass of water like this uh, and you take another glass of water which is uh, wider and you pour the same water back and forth you ask a four-year-old kid you say and you ask them okay when when is it more water is it here or here mm. and because it looks more in this one uh, because it's high well this is higher up on the glass then the little kid on the four-year-old will say it's more there it's more when it's in this one once they get over four years old and they get to five five or something or we do then all kids shift perspective and they say it's the same amount you just pour the same water and not only that if you then show a kid, this same kid a video of themselves um, having given the previous answer before they won't believe it's them because they don't recognize their thinking they say no no i wouldn't be that dumb uh, so what happened is that the kid has shifted in their cognitive stage of development so the kid has gone from less complex thinking to a more abstracted form of thinking where they can understand a concept such as volume and they understand that it's the same volume regardless of which glass you pour the water in because it's the same water exactly um and this uh, researchers uh, have then studied uh, this in i mean on top of these stages that he studied up to adulthood um Jean Piaget studied researchers have noticed that there are several stages above um, our first adult stage and that adults are at different cognitive stages of development so uh, some adults will be cognitively drawn to uh, simpler uh, simpler explanations about life reality society and themselves and some will be drawn to more complex explanations and uh, like metamodernism like metamodernism <laughs> so uh, if you look at the structure the deep structure of how people think in the different cognitive stages you can see that aha there appear to be these appear to be closely linked to the stages of societal development so you can see there is a, a person can have a modern worldview and a modern logic or they can have a postmodern worldview and a postmodern logic or they can have a metamodern worldview and a metamodern logic and 
we describe this is described close uh, in more detail in this book, uh, The Listening Society by Hansi Freinach, uh, where uh, the different dimensions of this development uh, is described. Uh, you can study this in at least four different dimensions. So, uh, so this is uh, a, um, a bigger discussion. But if you just look at then the demographics of different countries, so let's compare Sudan to uh, Switzerland and look at the stages of development of the people there. And this can be empirically studied, uh, the stages of cognitive development. Again, the stages of cognitive development aren't measures of who God loves the most. They're just descriptive factors. And then you can use that knowledge for whatever purposes you uh, you deem uh, you deem worthy yes and um and if you do perform such a study you will notice that the values and thought structures of people in sudan are simpler uh, than the people in switzerland because the people of switzerland of course uh, got more education and so forth mm. um and this is a highly controversial claim, but it is empirically correct. Okay, so can you just define what simpler means uh, in that so, context? So, so in this uh, in this context, like looking back at this kid, mm. uh, when when you switched stages of cognitive development, mm. uh, when we're at four years old, we believe the water exactly. uh, is more what it looks like, mm. and then after about five years of age we understand that there's more to the world than what we uh, than we, what meets the eye and this goes on and on basically mm. uh, in through different stages of development so there there's the major difference then between postmodern and modern think uh, and metamodern thinking metamodern thinking believes that there is in fact a developmental sequence of society, of people, of the self, of how I define myself, of values, of culture. And we, metamodernists, uh, accept the postmodern critique that you can always pick these apart and you can always say there, there is some truth in the, the different perspectives, but the dis perspectives can be ordered. And this connects to this new hope or sincerity that the cultural metamodernists uh, have described in, in the arts. Because if there is such a thing as a development of our psychologies, of our souls, of our culture, of our societies and of our economic system and our laws and everything in our institutions, then we can try to understand what a future stage of society would look like. We can try to understand how a society could actively and deliberately support the inner development of everyone in the population. Mm. So for me, uh, this project of hope amidst all of this irony has become the listening society. So I believe that the next or the future society um the future uh, the next stage of society should be one that builds upon 
the, the advanced progressive societies in the world today that have the most uh, most high stage populations and so forth, including then the Nordic countries and the uh, Scandinavian countries, New Zealand, Holland, uh, places like that, that these countries and these societies have the institutional and demographic prerequisites to take the next step. And the next step then would be a higher form of welfare, which tries to support the psychological development of every individual in society. For instance, this can take the form of teaching everybody meditation, because meditation has um, uh, has this effect that it helps you to look at your own thoughts from the outside and look at your own sensations and your own feelings from the outside. So it tends to be supportive of higher stages of development. Um, and you can uh, you can support more complex thinking in schools. Uh, you can learn uh, help help people learn to think in systems, uh, bio, socio, economic systems, including the ecological systems. Uh, you can help people think in more um, more interactive terms, you, uh, more social psychological terms. Uh, you can help people to be happier on a deep level. Um, psychological support to heal our traumas is very important here. All of us have traumas as we go through life. Life is difficult, even in uh, you know societies with no problems like Norway. Uh, I mean, just look around. When I grew up, I mean, people end up in psychiatric ward. People end up in in uh, long term. Uh, um, unemployment and uh, self-learned helplessness. Uh, people um, uh, have all sorts of issues when it comes to collaborating with people, that, which holds back our uh, co collective intelligence, our ability to organize together. Um, people ident over-identify with ideas and ideals and they become really invested in them and then try to prove those ideas and ideals right at any cost. Um, and family relations are often pretty pretty bad and people hold each other back in everyday life. Uh, people are um, too busy with their own problems to care about climate change and, uh, and the mm, huge catastrophe going on in Yemen, for instance. Um, so if we can support the development of our personalities, more people will spontaneously pick up values that more correspond to our day and age, uh, to the incredibly complex global society, internet, hyper-capitalist society that we live in. And because technology advances through its own force and its own powers and its own logic and science advances and the markets advance, we can see that our culture and we, as human beings, as psychological beings, are lagging behind. That we are, with, using the words of, uh, of uh, one of the developmental theorists here, Robert Keegan, we are in over our heads. Exactly. We're out of our depths. Uh, so basically, you know, we have ourselves created this, this golem, this huge, awesome, 
powerful, wonderful, terrible economic technological system that connects everybody on the whole globe and uh, has you know such incredible specialization such incredible powers and here we are still with our um with our stone age brains uh, and we generally are uh, are stuck in a in a mindset and uh, and in values that correspond to the modern age of you know states and industries and all of this stuff um and that's also one I want to attack just there is that to me it also seems like especially when you mention about meditation because I'm a big proponent of meditation myself and it seems like it seems like that aspect of cognition is sort of releasing the mind into being something greater than the individual itself but but second of all it's it's also the fact that pragmatically if you want to boil, boil these things down where are we at right now? And I hate to take on the devil's advocate in this situation, but where are we at right now when it comes to postmodern radicalization versus metamodern uh, new thought, basically? Are we at a, po a point of superb conflict, sort of, where we're, where we're absolutely experiencing friction to the level of not being able to move away from it? Or are we experiencing a healthy friction that will help us move to metamodernism meta eventually. Where do you see this pragmatically going uh, further, uh, forward? Sorry. Yeah. So, so the first first things first. Uh, when it comes to all of this stuff, um, so metamodernism, uh, because it orders all of these perspectives, but uh, but also because uh, it has uh, it brought with it the multi-perspectivalism of postmodernism it has solidarity with all perspectives so metamodernism says i believe that we should uh, try to create a modern society but it also understands that every person has the right to be who they are and are who they are due to their upbringing and their developmental circumstances so um so metamodernism uh, to be able to to use this uh, fruitfully and productively, it's very important to have the non-judgmental attitude here. Uh, so uh, metamodernism loves proper metamodernism loves the postmoderns for who they are, and loves the moderns for who they are, and even loves uh, you know our our religious friends uh, who are sticking to uh, a 6,000 year old uh, world created Jesus is your savior and stuff like that uh, and and Muslims and everything um, and looking then at these different perspectives um, we still have a preference for the metamodern ones uh, and because the very definition of a of one on one of these stages is that it builds upon the other um, until a point where there's a qualitative shift and you become uh, convinced of other values and new values. Because you have new values that conflict with the old values, then by, uh, by definition, these different, you could call them value memes, metamodernism, postmodernism, modernism, traditionalism, they can't be friends. So, uh, That's exactly pe it, yeah. people can be friends. Mm. I mean, you can you can have 
you know, your old granddad and your people in your family, you can love them. And, uh, but at a mimetic level, at the level of, of ideas and at the level of values, we can't be friends. It's either your values or exactly. mine. <laughs> so uh, so uh, it's built in into the metamodern, uh, into the metamodern uh, value system or its paradigm that there is uh, an evolutionary conflict between these different stages. And uh, in this regard, we're not com- completely unlike the Marxists. We believe that the the attractor points, or I mean the, the the likelihoods or the structures of the world are going to shift the game more and more in our direction. Uh, so we believe that metamodern values are going to win and going to transform society unless society crashes due to climate change and existential risk or uh, or some great wars or whatever. Okay, can I just jump in here just quickly? Another caveat because. Exactly, I think this is where the rubber hits the road, sort of. Because you have this aspect of... I don't know if you followed uh, Sam Harris a lot. Yeah, Yeah, do you know who it is, basically? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So um, he has been a a proponent of basically going against one of the key values of postmodernism, which which is pluralism. Pluralism is a major aspect of postmodernism. And he's come out and said, uh, in this example, um, there are certain... Structure, structural issues with the ideology of Islam. He's saying that there are certain issues we are having with that religion specifically. I mean, you can mention Scientology, you can mention Islamism, you can mention Buddhism or whatever. You can mention every kind of religion, but he's attacking one religion specifically, calling that religion out and seeing, taking the characteristics of the religion in a modern light, seeing, is this a religion that we can build a society around? And his answer is no. Like, he he's... He gets to the point where he says, I don't, I, I don't think, I think that needs to be either torn down or rebuilt. But that, that critique of a religion that is as vast as Islam, uh, as Islam is will absolutely cause this individual to be you know, either shunned or deplatformed. That's what we're seeing now in, in 2019. Deplatformism is a very, very big thing. Uh, do you think that, and again, I believe metamodernism is absolutely, um, those values are going to prevail in the end. But at some point, I also see that the conflict is so big at this time that, I, and I, I see, can see it increasing in many aspects of it. How do you think that friction will prevail, oh, will eventually lead to metamodernism prevailing? So, so uh, first of all, let me comment on that, uh, mm-hmm. on, on uh, uh, Sam Harris's stance there. Uh, so, uh, if you look at Islam, um, I mean, there is also research, for instance, that shows that Muslim people are slightly happier than others due to their uh, experience of wholeness. Uh, so, I mean, you, you can make all sorts of arguments for or against Islam uh, and uh, other belief systems. Uh, he also wrote, of course, uh, Sam Harris also wrote a letter to a Christian nation in which yeah. he bashes Christianity. Mm. But uh, and then if you look, if you uh, dig a bit down into Sam Harris, he's actually a pretty convinced Buddhist himself, yes. <laughs> um, which is uh, pretty funny. And and he went to a guru, the same guru that uh, that uh, some pretty nasty uh, cult leader gurus today uh, went to and and he loves that guru and stuff like that uh, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> uh, um, two, two things then uh, 
the first thing is that you can uh, you can uh, look at both these developmental stages and you can look at specific forms or specific cultures or specific norms that are relatively independent of those stages and you can critique those cultures or those values uh, so for instance i mean maybe in uh, the nordic countries uh, we uh, we tend to have the yantel law that we hold each other back too much so you can critique that even though we are relatively advanced societies that can take that as a specific norm of our of our societies so uh, it is legitimate with the metamodern perspective to tease out values that you uh, deem dysfunctional uh, and to critique them and nobody should go free even on the card of you know religious freedom or whatever so uh, regardless of whether or not he's correct in all of his uh, critiques, that is a legitimate thing to do from the metamodern perspective. Exactly. Uh, that being said, though, I think Sam Harris's main thrust is incorrect for this reason. He focuses on Islam as a system of thought rather than as a rich bed where many interpretations are possible. So uh, if you look at the terrorists, they are all low stage. There are no metamodern or postmodern Muslim uh, okay. terrorists. See where if you look at the Swedish church today, for instance, it is ruled by late modern and postmodern ideals. So if you go to the theology seminars, you get to learn about, uh, you know, uh, ecologism, feminism, and, and so on. Uh, so and like that, and they don't even they don't believe in the literal uh, interpretation of the Bible. So like that, Christians in that form, in their postmodern form, Christians aren't very dangerous uh, for society. In their early traditional form, yes, uh, that, then then uh, that's uh, highly problematic in in today's uh, today's hyper complex world. So what I think, um, what I think uh, Sam Harris does wrong is that he doesn't see that the main thing isn't to criticize these particular norms. It is to support the institutions of uh, Middle Eastern societies and other Muslim societies so that people grow mm. in uh, value meme or in their, in their stages of development. Mm. And once they do, they will themselves spontaneously reinterpret the word of, words of the Quran and uh, the life of Muhammad and everything in new terms. Some will become secular, of course. Others will make reinterpretations, multi-perspectival reinterpretations. And once they get to metamodern, they will uh, do contemplative re-readings of uh, of the holy texts, of the, of the holy scripture, which means that they will be able to get these good qualities that are in fact inherent within the religion, including this uh, profound sense of wholeness, this uh, this uh, emptiness or blackness uh, that is uh, a lum luminous blackness that is uh, uh, um, connected to to uh, to Allah or to to the highest uh, mm. uh, and and they will be able to uh, to use the many many practices including the structure uh, of uh, of everyday life with prayers five days uh, a week 
five times a day. And, um, and of course, the, the Ramadan and all of these things and use them for progressive universal purposes. Uh, that, I mean, that, of course, is a far, far cry from what goes on in uh, in all of these Islamist brainwashing schools you find around Afghanistan yeah. and, and so forth. Um, so uh, the, the main issue then is not uh, that there is something wrong with the scriptures of Islam itself. You can make those arguments also. But the main issue is that um, people have not developed value memes that make sense in our day and age. And then, exactly. of course, if the world doesn't make sense, you revolt against the world, and that's why you become a terrorist. So so what you're basically saying, that the meta-modern school of thought would, instead of attacking uh, Islam the way Sam Harris does, or any religion, uh, would be to embrace that culture, that school of thought, and to uh, for it to move forward to another cognitive landscape, basically. Yes. Uh, okay. And I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously you can't make one billion people with no, different uh, uh, interpretations, but I, uh, uh, but yes, certainly uh, if you move ahead, uh, the institutional development within key countries, then people will themselves spontaneously view the world differently. They will live in other social and economic and spiritual uh, and cultural landscapes and then they will interpret the world differently including of course the quran but then this this is a question of strengthening um uh, the cognitive shift within those communities but we also have a question of uh, mass immigration for example where you have a, a person coming from let's say sudan moving to oslo norway and the cognitive shift that would be uh, necessary for that person to be would then be vast it's it would be a very big cognitive shift wouldn't it the practical are you talking practically to strengthen that um way of thinking that cognitive shift within that uh, that country or nation or or city or 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 strengthen that nation of where this person comes to well uh it naturally both and uh, and I, I there are a couple of things here uh, so first of all, uh, I should let let you know my my position on on the immigration um, from from the Middle East and Africa into uh, Europe, uh, and um, I have moved uh, more towards a, a conservative position on that, especially after 2015, when uh, in Sweden uh, the the institutions were simply uh, overpowered by uh, too many immigrants at once, and uh, mm. even our relatively progressive government with a with a uh, Greens uh, as um, um, in in government together with the Social Democrats. It's like the climate political party, basically. Yes, yes. Yeah. They they uh, they who who had the most uh, pro immigration uh, policies. They even they closed the borders mm, exactly. because I mean if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So obviously we have to apply common sense here uh, that if. You you can't have infinite amount of immigration, mm. um, and if uh, if uh, there is uh, too much demand and there's too little on the supply side, what you get is bad results. So th that being said, uh, even with solidarity with all humans and with all perspectives, for the sake of the stability 
of all of, of all societies, uh, immigration is sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. You have to analyze it from time to exactly. time, uh, from from uh, uh, situation to situation, mm. uh, and you can't have a dogmatic uh, view with that. Immigration is always good, or immigration is always bad. Absolutely, um, I agree with that. So, uh, for, first of all, uh, well, just, uh, well, that that's first of all. The second of all, then, is that uh, in this book, uh, the second of the Hansi books, there is a distinction between different forms of uh, of viewing, um, of viewing um, um, multiculturalism or viewing uh, integration and, and these issues. You can you can. Uh, plot these on the different stages of development then. So the traditionalist view, which is uh, being defended by a, a minority in your country and mine, is simply nationalism. That uh, Sweden should be to Swedes, and there is an essential Swedish culture, and this essential Swedish culture has good qualities, and these qualities are being violated by uh, immigration. And thus, uh, that immigration should be stopped and those values should be strengthened and they should be supported because they are good in and of themselves that's the traditionalist value uh, and then you can go on from there to the modernists uh, and the modernists i guess are the mainstream and the liberal mainstream also uh, which say um, who say that it's not about uh, you could say not you could call it non-nationalism this position Non-nationalism is that uh, you say, okay, it, either it, the communist kind, we're all workers of the world. Uh, we, if we create socialism and you uh, meet everybody's needs, ethnicity will uh, will uh, uh, fall away. Uh, fundamentally, class is the is the most important. Uh, distinction and if you get rid of class structures all of these epiphenomena such as ethnicity and culture also uh, dissolve um, uh, or or the market liberal one which is in our countries is that uh, if you uh, liberalize the market uh, you make it easy to for people to get a low pay job uh, then they will get in the the market will take care of it, the labor market. Uh, people need a job, they need money, and from there on, they will meet other people, they will integrate, and uh, again, you view culture as an epiphenomenon. Mm. Then you can go to the postmodern uh, stage. The postmodern stage, then, is the multicultural one, of course, or, uh, or the intercultural one, you could say. And it says something like this, uh, that, hmm, because... We know that the world consists of many perspectives. Uh, we know that no perspective is given, and I am in no position to judge which perspective should be uh, uh, premiered, uh, should be uh, should be you know given a, uh, any any premiums. Then um, then all I can do is to try to enrich this multiperspectival. Uh, uh, cross-checking as much as possible with as many genuinely different perspectives as possible and thus it's always good with many different cultures mm. living uh, side by side learning from one another and uh, sometimes having conflicts but those could turn out to be productive mm. and basically that they enrich and that uh, if the state 
or the majority tries to enforce their perspective, then that's per definition oppressive. But then, of course, that leads you to uh, the dogmatic position that immigration is always good. Mm. And it's not so <laughs> difficult like... to argue against this uh, this uh, uh, this uh, position because it contradicts itself. It says, well, what about the cultures who don't want multiculturalism? Uh, should they also be included? Exactly. Yeah, so so I, you, you get in a kind of untenable position. And then if you go to the metamodern position, of which I only truly know one good example, and it's uh, it's down in Belgium, actually. And, uh, uh, and I call this position um, transculturalism. It's uh, that you look at the different cultures developmentally and you uh, make a judgment this in this particular context this cult this culture has some advantages upon mm, that culture exactly so you take an objective stance uh, in a certain situation basically yes oh. uh, you, you try to well objective you, tr you mm. try to uh, you try to make a discernment like okay so let's say uh, there's a group of immigrants from turkey and let's say they're uh, better at being warm and friendly with their families uh, than Swedish people are. Exactly. Uh, and they have some uh, nice food culture also. And Swedish uh, people are uh, uh, are better at understanding uh, uh, how to act um, on a universal market or in a democracy or something. Then obviously for the for this to be an enrichment rather than just a conflict you have to take the good things uh, from the swedish culture and try to uh, get the turkish people to learn from that you have to take the good things from the turkish culture and let swedish people learn from that uh, regardless of who is the majority or whatever uh, just basically what values are best and try mm -hmm. to support those values and there is a very, very, very impressive uh, program in Mechelen in, uh, in Belgium, in the uh, Flemish part of Belgium, where the, um, the mayor, Bart Sommers of Mechelen, he also won a prize for this and became the world, world mayor or something like that. And uh, he uh, lived in Mechelen. Uh, there, there was a lot of immigrants and a lot of criminality uh, 15 years ago. And yet when ISIS uh, happened uh, and Belgium was the country which had the most young people going to, to become ISIS fighters down in uh, Iraq and Syria, they, um, they had no, uh, not a single one coming from Mechelen, even though it's a city of 80,000 people or something. Uh, with a, with a big Muslim minority, so what they did was first things first they uh, they cleaned up the the areas that were uh, uh, you know highly assailed by criminality with a strong police presence. So they put a lot of police presence there on the uh, on the streets of these particular areas, and things kind of calmed down after a while. Second of all, uh, they went through a uh, the, uh, a process of affecting both the majority population and the minority population with a set of values. Okay, so okay. these were posted everywhere and everybody was contacted in this city. We, we have these responsibilities and we have these, 
these uh, freedoms. And among the responsibilities was, of course, stuff like obeying the law and um, and uh, treating other citizens uh, with uh, with respect, and also being very tolerant of minorities and giving people we don't know a, a chance and not being racist. Mm. So it hit from both sides, so to speak. So they they made a huge campaign to get everybody on board with these uh, with these values uh, through the different institutions and in, in, uh, the different municipal institutions of the city. And then they went to a third step, which, uh, and this is where it gets really radical. So they specifically uh, let all the uh, Muslim young people travel to, uh, to uh, uh, Toledo in Spain. Uh, is, that, uh, is that the correct? city well you know where the where the cordoba no uh, where the cordoba no, i mean cordoba yes in spain where the cordoba sultanate was in uh, active uh, a thousand years ago and at this point where they, where they built the big alhambra place and at this point this was the leading place of science and multiculturalism in europe uh, this is where the only place where jews uh, Christians and Muslims they lived side by side for hundreds of years in peace. And uh, they, they were also the people who transmitted Aristotle to, uh, to European culture uh, through, through their, um, um, th through their uh, translations of his texts. And they had a couple of uh, big philosophers themselves uh, that to this day affect uh, the, the, uh, are part of the Western canon. Mm. So, um, at this point, this was the leading place of science and tolerance in Europe. And then, you know, when, when Ferdinand and Isabella eventually got all of Spain uh, back, they, uh, uh, they killed the Muslims and they, uh, expro uh, they mm, chased away all the Jews and they had to move to Poland and Holland. Um, and they were a lot less tolerant. So... Uh, what happens there is that they try to create a positive narrative in these young people about what Islam is. Islam is the pinnacle of being of high civilization and tolerance and enlightenment. And then that uh, is already a positive uh, narrative to yeah. tell yourself about who you are and where you come from and what you who you want to be in society. So these young people were resistant to the lure of the ISIS uh, propaganda. Uh, and, uh, of course, criminality has dropped and uh, inclusion has increased and <laughs> integration has been successful. So, but, but, of course, this guy, Bart Somers, admitted to himself and to his staff that, um, that uh, they specifically needed to deal with the negative aspects of... of uh, Muslim uh, minority culture, and they did so successfully in a way that still respected their heritage, uh, and that's uh, that's transculturalism in action. That's that's the metamodern position. Exactly, it seems like a clean-cut example of metamodern uh, immigration. Yes, I, so I mean, I would like to see a lot more of that throughout the EU, uh, with of course reasonable uh, reasonable. Uh, um, 
amounts of immigration because in that case it really is enriching because now these now this place Mechelen does not have high criminality but still has lots of minority people mm. who have contacts around the world and that's and are integrated also. also yes uh, oh, oh, and one more thing they did. They specifically, you know, went home to all the uh, families who had taken their kids, the, the middle class white families who had taken their kids out of the problematic schools uh, and moved them to other schools farther away. So the, kids, the schools were really segregated okay. and the municipal uh, staff went to each of these families, hundreds of families, and specifically got them to... Uh, ask them what can we do to get you to get your kid back in the school closest to your home uh, and uh, they had to make a lot of promises about the quality okay. of education the security of their children and they you know delivered on all of these promises mm. and hundreds of families put their uh, kids back in these schools and what happened was in, uh, in the segregation was broken which is very very important so, I mean, th this was very, very hands-on, but then you, you can't be stuck in the politically correct thing. Oh, mm. I can't say which is better, exactly. or I can't, I can't say something about bad about Muslims, or I can't control people's culture. Yes, you can. You can make a value judgment. You can mm. stand up for it, and you can act politically on it. Exactly. As long as you have a good argument, and that argument holds up in your deliberations with other people. That 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 approach to uh, to immigration has absolutely need to be known to uh, the Western Western community. He wrote a book about it, but it's in Dutch. I can... Okay, <laughs> exactly. Um, Daniel, I, f I feel like I want to go into the last chapters of this conversation and talk about what we mentioned before. We mentioned art, because I, I feel like as any a, a cognitive shift, you basically have to efficiently go to art and. I feel like in the, it's very well, well known that in postmodernism, they sort of broke with the avant-garde culture of modernism, basically. And I feel personally that a shift from postmodernism to metamodernism best comes within avant-garde and in all different kinds of art. Do you see any kinds, uh, being a screenwriter myself, do you see any kinds of that kind of art um, ushering us into metamodernism contemporary? I mean, certainly, certainly. I mean, there have uh, there has been something. It's kind of like you know, the U.S. today is a tired society. You know, if you, mm. did you listen to Lana Del Rey sometime? So she she uh, she puts on these uh, glammy, uh, nostalgic, uh, you know, styles and suits and mm. environments, and then she you know sad sings so sad yeah. songs about America and and America being great in those days and stuff like that so i mean there's it's kind of like vienna was 100 years ago it was like a, a tired old empire uh, but in those tired days and it was the same in athens uh, uh, you know uh, aristotle and and plato and, and socrates they showed up at the end of of the of the glory period of athens and uh, i mean if you if you look at that um the U.S. today, it does produce, uh, not just the U.S., it does produce uh, very interesting stuff. So uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, U.S. produced the, the um, 
this one, Chernobyl, for instance, this series, yes. or... Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure about, about that either. either. Uh, but there is one that is definitely U.S. produced. It's uh, it plays out in New York, and it's called um, uh, Russian Doll. One guy, also a metamodernist, who I didn't even know personally, he just wrote to me on Facebook. He said, Daniel, you uh, should really watch Russian Doll. And, uh, and it includes uh, uh, themes of multiperspectivalism, of different timelines that, you know... Uh, uh, that merge together, weave together, okay, okay. of like one of uh, the transpersonal perspective, very important in in, in uh, metamodern is that what happens within me affects what happens within you and back and forth. And uh, it also includes psychedelic and spiritual perspectives like that. You, you are in this kind of dream world or in these tunnels. And it's about a woman uh, who, uh, who gets killed again and again, and then she has to fix her deep traumas before, uh, and she she doesn't okay. even know why she's being killed and revived, killed and revived. Sort of like uh, I don't know if you've seen um, Groundhog Day. Uh, yes, uh, so yeah. it's it's a Certain version of that film. Yeah. It's a, uh, it was my favorite film when I was a kid, Groundhog Day, <laughs> and they, and they made a new aspect of it. They made a new uh, twist on that, which uh, beats the original, and it's worth the time because it's only uh, eight episodes of half an hour each. Uh, and produced by three women also interestingly um, for some reason it it comes from three relatively young women uh, some of the most progressive stuff out there uh, but I mean the metamodern markers are all over it also you know just as such a thing as the, the liberal professor is a bad guy in this one rather than a good guy <laughs> mm. um, and um or, or, you know, not good or bad, but a little bit more bad than good. He's very cynical, but says all, all of these politically correct things. Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, certainly within that, and then, of course, within art and architecture, uh, more generally, uh, there's stuff happening. There's uh, the Metamodern Arts Festival, which I'm part of organizing in Kiev, mm. and, uh, the 27th to the 29th of uh, September. Of September, that's correct. Um, and that will be merged with something called Emerge Gathering, which uh, was held last year in Berlin, where not just metamodernists, but this kind of people uh, mm. convene and, uh, and meet up. Um, so, um, I mean, there is certainly a lot of stuff happening. I would like to give a theoretical perspective again, because I'm yeah. a theorist, Absolutely. Uh, on, on why the arts matter so much. And if you look at... Uh, if you look at something like um, a, um, a tendency or a, a value meme or meta meme like modernity, you can see that it first shows up in the arts. You can't start in politics. And uh, over a span of 500 years, then you can say you can you can see there's a clear progression of modernity. Uh, which begins in the arts and ends in a mainstream culture that has taken over all of society. And uh, if you look then to the beginnings of what you could call modern arts, modernity, it's uh, in Renaissance Italy, in the northern uh, part of Italy, in these very, very, very rich cities at the time that had you know, twice the GDP of any other place in the world, uh, per capita GDP, uh, people start drawing Something the Romans never did. They drew very well, but they never got perspective. Mm. Uh, they start drawing with correct perspective. 
So they put in natural science in the arts. They put in uh, that, I mean, it's as if the arts uh, start uh, to have a space or room of their own that is detached from the social order of things. If you go to medieval times, you know, the king will be bigger just because he's the king. Or if you go to other cultures, traditional cultures, uh, or the saint will, you know, have an aura or whatever. Uh, starting from the Renaissance, people start uh, uh, drawing with perspective or painting with perspective. And then everything is in its natural place. So natural science makes its entry there. And if you look at the, some of the first natural scientists, uh, inclu including Leonardo da Vinci, the very reason that he was interested in this stuff, like, was dissecting all the people, was uh, or the, these corpses was that he wanted to paint with this precision and you have a corresponding uh, you have a corresponding uh, uh, movement in the dutch renaissance which which um, uh, instead uh, builds on another logic uh, namely on copying details copying mm. details more and more adding more and more more details until it becomes real okay. so you could say kind of a, a deductive logic of the northern Italian Renaissance and an inductive logic. It, basically, you add new things until you see the whole picture. Um, so um, we wouldn't have had the start of modernity without arts breaking through, breaking through the... the uh, the limitations of the medieval uh, of the medieval uh, um, world Condition, or yeah. this social universe, mm. and then um, there's a logic to that. Why does art come first? Well, and why does politics come come later? So, if you look at modernity specifically, you can see first in the 1400s you have music and you have the the, the, the whole the whole scale is set and you have painting. And then if you look at the uh, 1600s, you have the scientific revolution uh, with folks like Galileo and all of that. Um, that shows up uh, also in, the, in this part of the world. And then the 1700s, you have philosophy where people have, where the, there is the enlightenment and people start thinking with this new science worldview, thinking about society. And then in the 1800s, you have revolutions and attempts at politically reshaping the world and you have applications of these thoughts and ideas uh, within within the economy and so forth and then in the 20th century you in the early 20th century you uh, by the 1922 for instance you get universal suffrage in sweden or actually by 1935 if you count people who had debts and everything mm. or uh, were who, who were on welfare so um uh, it took those 500 years to go from the from the arts until you have a mainstream political system and even then you know back in the 20s most people still still subscribe to traditional worldview even in among a melee of cars and electricity and everything people were still christian and then mainstream culture eventually shifted over a number of decades until you had through education and everything else uh situation where you walk down the street and you can grab somebody on the shoulder and turn them around and you can be 90 percent sure that this person is modern mm. in their worldview uh, 
and it it took that kind of time and there's a, a there's a simple logic to why this is the case so arts uh, if you that that only requires one person the artist and the person doesn't have to be able to explicitly express their thoughts and ideas and the structure of their uh, of their values they just have to intuit it they just have to sense it and then they get an idea and then they can try something out that and that's why artists are prophetic that's why they, they can uh, they can kind of see the future mm. uh, steer uh, and then of course to get to science you still need to formalize things but you don't need to be so many to get to philosophy you have to be many people who speak together and uh, and have a community of uh, of people who exchange thoughts and ideas and reflect upon what science has to told us and then to get to uh, to uh, you know the economic system you have to have people who have very concrete ideas and very many who can work this out and then to get to promulgate laws you have to have a majority in the parliament or whatever governing body you have who explicitly understand this stuff and can write it down in precise injunctions and they write down the consequences of their so, so it goes from one intuitive to many and extremely specific and for this so it's very logical why the arts must come first mm. in any development of a meta meme and because we are now at the early part of metamodernism uh, I mean, I started in politics, and then I went to business, and then I went to uh, uh, culture more generally and, and philosophy, and then I went to the arts. Uh, and that's the place to start. Uh, so it's also important for this reason that... Uh, um, it's also important for the reason that if we want to cultivate metamodern culture, it has to be visceral. I mean, if you just, you know, read some ideas, it won't really change your mind or it won't exactly. really change who you are as a person, how you view the world. Um, but if you can, you know, feel it, just feel it, taste it, mm. hear it, see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Feel the mood. Then that build, that that builds that those subtle moods builds into something concrete in you as a person in your mind. Mm. And then you can start thinking for yourself. Aha. This gets me into this uh, idea, or this makes me want to explore in this direction. But there's a big difference then between metamodern arts and postmodern arts. Uh, so first of all, I want to make a caveat here. Uh, you said uh, postmodern art um, grew out of the grew out of modernism, and uh, what we usually call modernism in my terminology is also postmodern arts so i mean in, if you open an an arts book and, and you see modernism then you're going to find picasso there and stuff uh but according to this uh it, to, to this denomination this theory what is picasso doing well he is making a mockery of the spatial dimensions he's flattening stuff he's perspectival multi-perspectival i mean he's postmodern to his fingertips uh, so, uh, so what we usually call modernism was, of course, it was the art of late modernity or of mature modernity, but art is always one step before, so it was already postmodern. And if you Google, you, you do a simple Google research of modern art and postmodern art, they look pr pretty much the same. Uh, so for this reason, uh, it, it, it's important to understand that 
postmodernity was also uh, or postmodernism was also heralded by the arts first you know you have writers like uh, um, the guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland, for instance, a very, very postmodern novel at the uh, turn, last turn of the century. And, uh, and yeah, well, stuff like that. And then you have, you know, all of these paintings from um, the Pollux expressionism and uh, the cubism and, and futurism and all of these things eventually leading to this pop art, mm. uh, which is, you know, then it gets really, really postmodern. But, and then what, after that, you have the formal philosophy and only now are you getting postmodern politics in which anti-discrimination laws and environmentalism and multiple perspectivalism and so forth are uh, are um, uh, being put in place but then you can see the whole spectrum is only of uh, of development here is not 500 years uh, the postmodernity is it's about 100 years which is quite different uh, and so we can expect uh, things to happen a bit more stacked now because mm. there's, I mean, the world accelerates. Mm. So the the change into metamodernism can be expected. I mean, a full-blown metamodern society maybe in 80 or 100 years, but uh, but real changes within our culture and our philosophy and also some some within our politics can be expected within 20 years. Exactly. Uh, that being said, without a foundation in the arts, that we don't uh, we don't really have um, um, we don't really have uh, anything to build on. Mm. So, uh, okay, what can I say about metamodern arts specifically? They're different from the postmodern arts. Uh, uh, if, uh, for instance, um, I mean, one one thing is that the higher you get in these stages, the more of life becomes intertwined with art. So art becomes more inter, I mean, the goal of the, the relative utopia of modern, metamodern society would be to liberate all of us to be in some sense artists, to be free creators. Uh, but, uh, I mean, postmodern art is pretty tired. I mean, you walk down uh, to the city square, there's going to be an ugly ass statue. Nobody knows what it's doing there uh, or what it means. Uh, and everybody's going to say, oh, this is art. And it probably cost a hell lot of money. And uh, then you have to pretend that you understand it. On the, or otherwise, you're not, uh, you don't have Bildung or you're, you're not refined and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, metamodern art needs to be crafty so it, it reintroduces the modern, uh, 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 I mean, it, it, it requires true craftsmanship. So, I mean, nothing can be metamodern art unless it is also difficult to do, and it should be appealing and impressive. Well, can I, can I just, uh, uh, it's, if, if it's true craftsmanship, would that mean in the fabricating the art, making the art, with the knowledge of making it metamodernistic, if you understand what I'm saying, I mean, there's no, there's no demand that the that the person himself uh, or herself, uh, the artist, uh, it, it has read about metamodernism. And they exactly. can still, uh, so, um, uh, but but some examples then. So there is this, um, there is this um, mathematician, I believe, or some kind of natural professor, uh, natural science professor in the U.S who made these sculptures, uh, three-dimensional sculptures uh, of uh, geographical objects, 
uh, who which which he puts then on a on a revolving plate, and they move around magically. You see these fractal patterns, and it's absolutely mesmerizing. What what did you call it? Uh, so I, I don't know what what the name of the artist okay. is. I can I can uh, we can I can send you afterwards and we can put it. In. Perfect. I'll add a link. But but I mean, uh, to do that, you have to be an advanced mathematician. You have to be a very good. Um, you have to be a very good um, sculpture maker, mm. and uh, I mean, and critically craft craftsman. Uh, you also have to, you know, get a genuinely new idea uh, of uh, making this co- kind of uh, art, and it's available for everybody. You can you can put a four-year-old kid, and they will also be mesmerized by it. You don't have to have a long, you know, education to understand that this is cool. And yet, you know, to the metamodern mind, for instance, you see, oh, you create an illusion. You uh, show us that the world is made up of fractal patterns. Mm. You show that mathematics and arts belong together. That's freaking metamodern arts. Yeah. Uh, and it's so different from, you know, just flattening everything and making stuff weird, which is, you know, today the, ma- yeah, the mainstream within arts. Mm. Um Another thing, you know, uh, art doesn't actually have to be an art project. So, uh, for instance, on my own Facebook page, I put up uh, the inside of a Japanese research facility, which uh, tries to catch neutrinos. Uh, So basically, there's a huge tank and there are uh, thousands of golden bubbles, uh, uh, which are, you know, plated with thin, thin, thin gold on the glass. And uh, when the neutrinos hit them, they're sensitive enough to sense that. And it's it looks like, uh, you know, uh, where the bad guy would live in a, in a Bond movie or something. Um, and it's so beautiful and so ordered. Uh, and then it's also an, an, a work of art. Um, so then in, in that sense, in metamodern art, Art is go the the beauty is going to follow some kind of higher logic, some kind of uh, purpose, some kind of hope, some kind of direction, uh, and th- exactly. that's then the the new sincerity that the meta modern uh, art scholars uh, point us towards. Because if this beauty points us towards something that is also true, that is also useful then the art has really spoken to us and it has shown us some kind of direction. And I want to say that there is a perverted version of this, uh, which is uh, the fascist uh, uh, or meta-right misconception of this. Uh, And if you look at Hitler uh, and his, uh, and his, um, uh, you know, mass meetings, and you can see the same pattern kind of as in, in this, uh, in this, um, in these fractal, uh, nice fractal patterns, that, or these uh, this beautiful uh, interior of a of a uh, of a science facility, uh, and you can see that he has made he personally designed this cross and this red thing or the the, the swastika, and uh, then he just copied it onto everything, and he got other people to just follow along on something that didn't make any sense at all. So basically, to the fascist mind, beauty comes first. 
aesthetics come first, mm-hmm. and then you can do anything in the world, unethical or unethical, as long as it serves this aesthetic ideal, mm, okay. or true or not true. It doesn't have to compute. Doesn't have to make sense. It just they just say out of Plato's big three, the beautiful, the true, and the good. Mm. We should we should premiere beauty. If I think a big a huge nation of big white families is beautiful, that's what I will create, no matter how much sense it makes or no matter how ethical it is. And metamodern art is the opposite of that. We will display the beauty of the world. We will display the beauty of the universe and of ourselves and our inner lives by doing something that is good and true. And that's 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 a major distinction. And on the surface level, they can look similar, look similar. But but please be careful here because the fascists will also show up in these new art scenes. Of course, and, of course. and uh, metamodernism, unfortunately, uh, is uh, I mean, among the readers, there are a lot of pretty far right folks uh, who exactly. I sympathize with very little, actually. But I mean, as human beings, of course, but mm. with their politics, no, of course. Um, this has been an extremely fruitful conversation, Daniel. I want to uh, end on this note of um, the the introduction of me wanting to um, originally got interested in metamodernism is basically that I mentioned before the podcast was a book called uh, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. And uh, in an interview with David Foster Wallace, he talked uh, extensively about modernism, metamodernism, this this new period that I was, or there's this new cognitive shift that I was so interested in, that I was, uh, my, my cognition was so uh, busy and preoccupied with this thought of where we're heading now. But at the end of this interview, I think it was with, with Charlie Rose or something, he says that his mind is constantly preoccupied with finding, finding out what comes after metamodernism. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, yes, that, that's a very good question. And uh, first of all, I mean, it is built in within metamodernism itself that if you view the world through stages and the world looks very differently uh, through the different stages of development, uh, then um, per definition, there is a stage after metamodernism, which uh, you can will be able to see in culture and psychology and cognitive development and so forth. Um, Given, uh, given though uh, our cognitive limitations as uh, as human beings, it is quite possible that the stages beyond metamodernism exist in the space of the post-human, i.e., when we when we can somehow mm, change our brains around or something, exactly. or merge with AI or something mm-hmm. like that. Digital. Because even today, you know, uh, people the, the people who are uh, susceptible to become metamodernists are relatively few if you uh, just look at the empirics of uh, how cognitive development is distributed among adults. So, uh, so first of all, I want to make that caveat that maybe this is just in the future. But one thing that can be said for certain is that the world looks very differently within uh, each such major shift. So, um, if stage theories are extremely important to metamodernism and weren't to uh, postmodernism, uh, we can be sure that whatever stages after metamodernism uh, will not be based on stage theories. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
they will be based on some kind of uh, of a fractal reinterpretation, which allows you to move freely be- between uh, what we perceive as different stages. Mm. So, uh, I mean, that uh, th- that is for certain. Uh, so if somebody tries to offer you, oh, I made a, 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 I, I came up with what is after metamodernism, and here's a new stage theory that adds a stage to metamodernism, that's not it. Mm. <laughs> and that's what exactly. people are doing. And in this book, uh, this one, and there is uh, the Listening Society by Hansi Freinach. There is an extensive um, um, critique of uh, of the post-metamodernist thinking that is prevalent within, um, uh, for instance, uh, integralism, and uh, within um, uh, within um, many other things. But uh, uh, within uh, Mm, um, uh, developmental psychology also so um, what what we can say for certain also is that for such a stage to arrive in full not just one little aspect of it we first have to have a metamodern society that can be criticized and from which you can like exactly uh, from which you can uh, away distance, from. Yes, distance mm. yourself from, uh, or you can climb on, mm. so that you can climb above and see this society. So exactly. even if you're a super complex thinker, or even if you have strong spiritual experiences that go beyond the metamodernism that I describe, it does not say uh, it does not mean that in full you are today a post-metamodern person because exactly. that's just not achievable in our day and age. It's just not realistic. It's not a cognitive landscape we can find ourselves in. Yes, yes. Uh, and, you know, developing a culture takes thousands and millions of people to do it. Of course. Uh, and if metamodernism isn't even developed yet, how are people going to be one stage above? Mm. In cognitive stages, yes. So specifically, or in, uh, I mean, of course, Einstein was smarter than you need to be to be a metamodernist. And he had, you know, a very high cognitive stage. Um but uh, but as as a full meta meme or value meme, no, it's not realistic to expect it yet. But it will be sooner than we think because you know development is it's much faster. Exactly, exactly. Um, again, Daniel, thank you very much for this conversation. Could you please uh, plug the the Meta Modern Festival and the times and also the books that you've written so that the audience can look them up, find them and read them thoroughly. Will, uh, would you mean uh, that I should uh, write it to you afterwards and then uh, you can post it under the video? Uh, exactly. And I just want to mention that there's a Metamodern Art Festival coming the 27th to the 29th yes, uh, in, right. in Kiev. Exactly. And I hope to see as many people as possible there. I'm, I'll absolutely be one there. So Wonderful. Looking forward Wonderful. to see you there. In Thank, you very, Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Hallå, Espen här från Podium. Om du har lust att stötta oss så må du gärna gå in på podiumpodcast.org. Om du är norsklytter så må du gärna stötta oss via Vips. Tack för att du bidrar till fritale, kritisk tänkning och öppen debatt på vår plattform.